Mediatrix Radio presents Pathways to Rome, a weekly hour-long journey that brings Rome home for you. Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Gus Kilo and Kathy Kerfoot, take us on an audio tour of the Vatican where every work of art, building, and liturgical event is a unique expression of Christianity. The center of the Catholic faith teaches while it inspires, but there's a lot to learn. So let's join our tour guides for this week's apologetic adventure. Welcome to our show, Pathways to Rome, the show that brings Rome home to you. I'm Kathy Kerfoot, and I'm here in the studio with my co-host, Gus Kilo. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And joining us for Rome is Father Jeffrey Kirby. Welcome, Father. Hey, thank you, Kathy. Today, our show is going to focus on priest saints. And earlier, we did a show on the year of the priest, and so we thought it would be best to continue in the year of the priest, recognizing some heroes of our faith, um, specifically some priests that have touched the world in a very special way. Well, exactly, Kathy. One, one of the priests that I had thought of that came to mind was uh, Padre Pio, who is at now actually Saint Pio of Pietrelicina. Maybe Father Kirby could pronounce it a little better, <laughs> living over there. But That was good. We'll uh, just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Padre Pio is obviously a very, very popular saint. He uh, he died in 1968, so just 40-something short years ago. He's very famous for having the stigmata, which is a very rare gift that some saints receive, starting with St. Francis, his spiritual father. Padre Pio was a Franciscan. He received the wounds of Christ in his hands and in his side, and uh, he bore those wounds, I believe, for something like 50 years. Yes. And... Uh, and bore them very patiently, just as St. Francis had received the stigmata. And people came from all around. And uh, one, one amazing thing about Padre Pio is his confessional was always full. Like some of the other priests, saints we're going to be talking about, uh, he had the, the gift of often being able to, to read hearts and being, being able to know what was on somebody's mind. And if someone was hemming and hawing in confession, he would say, well, I think you want to say this or that. And uh, he could actually read souls. The thing I loved about Padre Pio, he was just very down to earth. I mean, he'd joke around. He could be a little gruff at times, but very, very human. You know, we often tend to think of saints, especially mystics like Padre Pio, being way elevated and up there. But no, he was very down to earth. He suffered a lot, not just physically. I but, understand uh, he also suffered from the from the blows of the devil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that he'd be locked in his cell at night, and in the morning he would be... Beat up. Anybody staying in, in the monastery. Could uh, hear. Lots of people could hear it, actually. Yeah. Um, and he also had the gift to bilocate, which is quite unusual, that he could be hearing confessions in one part of the world and then be ministering to somebody in another part of the world at the same time. That's, that's right. Lots of fascinating stories about uh, Padre Pio. Well, who did you look into there? Who did you study about there, Kathy? Well, I looked at Don Bosco, an Italian priest, and the reason why I really wanted to look at him was because he worked a lot with youth and really ministered to them not only through catechesis, but he also ministered to them just by the way he lived their lives and helping them out in their daily circumstances. His mother helped him in his ministry where they took in orphans off the street and disadvantaged children, and he always uh, taught the children their catechism with great love and charity. As far as youth ministry goes, he always tried to incorporate music and dance into it, which is what we do today in youth ministry to keep the attention of the young people and to 
actively involve them in their faith. So he had the beginnings of current youth ministry. Well, yeah, he's the he's the patron saint of our uh, youth group at Prince of Peace. Um, one of his altar boys became a saint, St. Dominic Savio. Okay, right? yeah, he um, started uh, numerous societies, one of them being the Society of St. Francis de Sales, which became the Salesians, and that's a religious order that carried on his work after his death, which took in select young men to train them for the priesthood. There was a another group that he founded, which was a group of religious sisters that did the same work that the Salesians did for boys, but they did it for girls, and this was mm-hmm. called the Daughters of Mary Help of Christians. Wow. And both of these saints that have been mentioned so far have just been awesome. Mm-hmm. Padre Pio, uh, Father John Bosco, uh, one of the saints that always comes to my mind and is a great hero in addition to Padre Pio and, and Father John Bosco, is the example of Father Maximilian Kolbe. Oh, absolutely. And some may not know his story, but uh, just a powerful example. Even as, as a young priest, he also was a Franciscan. As a young priest, he felt very called to the communications media and that apostolate, that outreach, and was fairly new. And it was definitely new for a priest to be involved in these things. He felt this strong call uh, to be involved, and so he started the magazine. He went and sought to encourage Catholic newspapers, Catholic radio, various things of that sort. It was really an impetus to a lot of people to understand, to get the message out there, to preach the gospel, to evangelize. And he, in his work, he went as far as Japan. In addition to all these, he also formed little groups of of laity in order to teach them the catechism and prayer life and so on. And he began what is now called the Knights of the Immaculata, Mm -hmm. which is one of the titles for Mary. And he would train these lay people in, in, again, how to be catechists and teachers of the faith. Well, this work took him all over the world. And in Japan, when he arrived there, he felt called to create what are called Mary Towns, which are basically just little areas for retreats, education, and so on. And when he was in one particular town, um, Nagasaki, Mm -hmm. he felt called to build a Mary Town. You can imagine in the middle of Japan, this priest gets his call and he was going to build it on the side of a mountain because that's where Mary told him to build it. And everyone thought this man was crazy. You know, who is this priest? He's building this Mary Tower on the side of a mountain. It's difficult to build there. There's other land that's easier. Why is he doing this? But Mary was very clear on where she wanted this Mary Town. And so he builds it there. In 1945, when the atomic bomb is dropped on Nagasaki, it is precisely Mary Town's placement behind that mountain that spared it from destruction. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. And this priest did so many amazing things like that. And the story he is most known for is his martyrdom for charity. And while I think we should definitely stress that because it's such a summary of his life, we also have to show these other stories. This man was living a way of life, the way of life of a Christian, some of the fullness of the Christian faith as a Catholic, and definitely as a Catholic priest. And towards the end of his life, the Nazi party was growing, it had taken um, Poland by force. And he began to teach against the Nazi party, against the atrocity, against the dignity of the human person, and calling really for respect and for love. And eventually he was taken prisoner by the Gestapo. He found himself at the Auschwitz death camp, one of the concentration camps that existed there in Poland. And in Auschwitz, again, just so many story upon story about how he served others. He would give them portions of his food. He would take extra work details. His life in the concentration camp was no different than the life he lived as a disciple before his imprisonment. 
And the, the paradigm story is when one man escapes, the consequences of 10 will be executed. And one prisoner had escaped. They had a formation. They were going to shoot 10 people because one escaped. And 10 were chosen. Father Kobe was not one of them. And when one of the men was chosen so randomly, it wasn't as if there was any order. It was just you, 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 you. And one of the men, after he was chosen, he cried out. He said, please, I have a wife and children. And, of course, it went on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. But Father Colby stepped out of formation. And he should have been shot. Why he was not shot by one of the guards breaking formation is itself a miracle. Mm-hmm. He broke formation and approached the commandant of the camp, which was unheard of. He didn't do that as a prisoner in the concentration camp. He approached the commandant, and he offered to take the man's place. And the commandant is shocked, and he asks Father Colby, who are you? And Father Colby gives the only answer he has to. He said, I am a Catholic priest. That's all he had to say. Because I think it's the life of Padre Pio, the life of John Bosco, all the holy priests that we see in our tradition, that's all they had to say. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. a, I'm called to be a good shepherd, to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm called as a member of holy orders to be in constant service to those in holy matrimony. I am called to give my life in love in imitation of my Lord who gave his life for me. And that is the perfect summary of what it means to be a priest. Those are the virtues we're celebrating as a church with this year of the priesthood. There's so many wonderful examples. It's sad that we have such scandal in our church in different parts of the world right now, and we will never defend the indefensible. But as a church, we have to remind ourselves of so many good men who have been called to be priests and have done it wonderfully and are doing it wonderfully. Exactly. And we need to hold up these examples. Gus, I think you had some more examples for us. Father Norman Westland who is a, a pro-life priest, and I remember him telling me a story one time when he was about to get mugged, and somebody saw his collar and backed off, and he looked at me when he was telling the story, and he goes, and he pointed to his collar, and he goes, 2,000 years of credibility, a uh, very, very holy man, a uh, great inspiration. The curia of ours, of course, is patron saint of parish priests, St. Jean Vianney. He was born in 1786. And when he went to this little country town in our, uh, apparently uh, the town was in shambles. I mean, nobody was going to Mass. He would complain about people dancing and partying on yes. Sundays, but not going to Mass. And so he had a, an absolute wreck of a, of a place to start, start and with. And he transformed it. Yeah, yeah. He co- completely, exactly. Basically, by the way he lived his life, by his preaching and his prayers, but the way he lived his life is what really brought the people back. It's a beautiful story about his life. Early on in his life, he had a lot of struggles. Being a student, he should not have been conscript- conscripted into the army, but um, since there was such a need that was bypassed, he was conscripted into Napoleon's army. And it's funny because the day that his troop was supposed to leave, he went into church to pray, and I guess he prayed for a long time because when he came out, his troop had already left. (laughs) And um, he should have been arrested for that, for missing his deadline to leave. But uh, they believed him that he was in prayer, so they let him leave the next day to catch up. So what happened was he hired this young man to help him find his troop, but this young man led him astray, and he ended up in this town called Noes, Noes, N-O-E-S, that was a very popular place for deserters. 
Ooh. And the mayor, the mayor of that town, asked him to stay and teach the school children. And he became a school teacher and lived under an assumed name during the war. And finally, after the war, he returned home when they lifted the penalties against deserters. Huh. And that's when he resumed his studies again for the priesthood. Well, I remember a story of him in his studies. Apparently, he was uh, you know, already an adult. I don't know how old, maybe 20 or something. But he's in a classroom with like a 10 and 11-year-olds, and they would just make so much fun of him. Mm-hmm. He bore it all very patiently. Can you yeah. imagine being in a classroom with I you know, can't people imagine. 10 years younger than you? <laughs> he had a lot of struggles for the priesthood. He was not that brilliant of a student. Learning was very difficult for him, especially learning Latin was very difficult for him. He had a mentor that uh, studied with him and helped him and stuck with him when um, a lot of others would have given up on him. But uh, he finally was ordained after his second try of taking the exam. So he had made it over that roadblock. Having to sit there with, with young children, 11, 12, 13, and so on, that he had to sit there with these young kids learning Latin, and and his tutor, one of them, was a 12-year-old boy. And this 12-year-old was trying to teach uh, St. John Vianney, the future patron saint of parish priest, his Latin, and John Vianney just could not get it. Mm -hmm. Just could not get it, could not get it. And this 12-year-old boy, in frustration and anger, punched him right in the face. Mm -hmm. And John Vianney was, you know, obviously you can imagine, this 20-year-old man, and this 12-year-old boy strikes him. John Vianney kneels at the boy's feet and asks his forgiveness. Oof. Oh, my goodness. Because of his ignorance and testing this young boy's patience. Wow. This young boy told this story about St. John Vianney later in life and said that that was the moment of the young boy, this 12-year-old boy's Christian discipleship. Wow. He said it was at that moment he understood who Jesus was, and what we were all called to be as Christians. So this young boy was so moved by this that he himself later became a priest and became a bishop and was sent as a missionary bishop to Iowa in the United States and became the first bishop of Dubuque. It shows you what a good Christian and a good priest can do. I guess guess what you're saying is I need to be a little more patient around my boys, right, Father? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we all pray for that kind of patience. Oh, my goodness. Uh, It's it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the curé, like Kathy said, you know, led by example. And, and, I mean, I believe there are times when the church was empty, but he would preach anyway. Uh, But slowly but surely, people started showing up and— and taking him seriously, and, and his preaching was absolutely amazing. I've actually read some of his sermons, and they're so simple, and that they're, yet they're so direct, so so touching. Uh, people would weep every time they when, when they heard him. Um, he had that kind of power. And, of course, uh, he, too, had the gift of being able to kind of know someone's heart, see their heart, and be able to help them out in the confessional. You know, it's going to confession is not the easiest thing in the world, but he would help people who were stumbling over it, and he'd actually be able to read their hearts and help them. He ended up uh, in the confessional, often 17 hours a day with just a, a short break for lunch. Apparently, he boiled seven potatoes at the beginning of the week and would eat a potato every day for lunch. Oh, for goodness sake! And sakes. a glass of wine. So, <laughs> Good night. Well, it's said that people from all over the country would come mm-hmm. to be confessed by him, and that basically he was a prisoner in the confessional. There were times that they had diocesan retreats for the priest. 
he was never able to leave the confessional, so the bishop had sent some missionaries to ours to help him out, but he still could not leave to go on these retreats, and the bishop would just send a message saying, you have too many souls to attend to in ours. Mm. So the man never caught a vacation. You know, another commonality that I had thought of earlier when you mentioned with Padre Pio wrestling with the devil, well, the curia of ours had so many visitations by the devil, and there were a lot of priests that that or people would be staying in the house and they'd hear the shaking and all. But uh, the curia of ours got so used to the devil messing with him and, and causing a ruckus and, and destroying his sleep that he ended up calling him le grappin, which is like, uh, I don't know, the, the rascal or something like that. He almost had a, like a pet name for oh, the for goodness yeah, sakes. He like dismissed him. He was mm-hmm. very offhand with him. And But I remember reading about a possessed person who had been delivered by the curia of ours, and the devil speaking through this possessed person said if there were five more priests like the curia of ours, the, devil's po- the devil would have no more power in this world. So wow. it was a testimony by his arch enemy, Satan. So that is the power of, of what a, a really solid priest can do. Of course, <laughs> Father, that probably puts a lot of pressure on priests to, you know, make it, make it say, Javiadi, the, uh, the patron saint. He's certainly quite a bit to live up to. Live up to, yeah. Nah, that's overrated. <laughs> no, it definitely, it definitely is a, a great reminder, and it certainly calls me to be a good priest. It, it renews the graces within my own heart to want to be a good priest. But, you know, and certainly this isn't trying to pass the buck, but I hope that situations like that are actually causes of conversion for all of us, because mm-hmm. I think the weight that a man might feel carrying the graces of holy orders should be the same weight Yet each of us feels carrying the graces of baptism. And I think those who are called to holy matrimony should feel that same, that good weight of what it means to carry the graces of holy matrimony. Because it's precisely the graces of our baptism and our sacraments of vocation that are going to give us the power, the power of God within us, in order to become what God has called us to be. So I certainly feel, in, in hearing the incredible story of these heroes, these saints, friends of God, who are priests in our church, who continue to intercede for us from heaven, I certainly feel that weight. But I think it's a weight we all feel. It means to be generous when we want to be selfish, to be patient when we want to be impatient, to be kind when we want to be mean. It means to pray when we really don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the call. So I certainly feel the weight, but I'm going to share it with you all, okay? (laughs) Okay. And that way, bore gracefully, just leads other people to want to be like you, you know, other young men to follow the priesthood, other young men to follow the vocation of matrimony and to be a good husband and a good father. And I think that's the most important thing. The challenge each of us have in life is to know what it is God wants us to do and then to have the fortitude and generosity to do it. The worst thing in the world is to see a young person who has the entire world at their fingertips Mm -hmm. and to be able to create pros and cons for every possible vocation and occupation and profession imaginable. And you look at this and you want to ask the young person, well, have you prayed about it? Mm. Have you asked your master, lord, teacher, friend, companion what he wants from you? When we are feeling and and seeking and discerning our our vocation in life, but also every day, Lord, what do you want? Be nice to that person, pray, show compassion. I don't feel like it. Well, then that right there is the cross. I carry that cross because I know the cross is going to heal me and give me the grace to be the person that I should be. I should be kind. I should be compassionate. I should be a person of prayer. 
And it's precisely in carrying that cross that the cross allows me to become a real Christian. The grace of Christ is able to work in me. I think that's, that's just a powerful thing that we all need to be reminded of. I think that really is the message, the heart of this year of the priest. And I hope that we see it in the message of every holy priest, this call, this summons to serve God, to serve him faithfully, and to be generous, mm-hmm. to become Christian, truly mm-hmm. other Christ in our world. But with all that said, Gus, I think you have another pre-saint we wanted to talk about. In the last century, uh, we also had uh, Blessed Miguel Pro. He was a Mexican Jesuit. Uh, when, when I lived in Mexico, I worked with the Missionaries of Charity Fathers, Mother Teresa's order, and they were very, very devoted to him because he lived at a time when there was tremendous persecution of the, the church. The government was actually persecuting Catholicism, and he had to flee to California and then back to Spain. When I was in Mexico, uh, Father Kirby, I remember that the priests there uh, did not wear clerics um, because that was kind of a, a throwback to, to those days of the persecution. And it was the priests still were kind of low key. And I remember it was kind of revolutionary when the uh, missionaries of charity fathers decided to wear clerics, even though they weren't blacks, but they had the Roman collar. And that, that was very uncommon in Mexico. And it really goes back to that time of Blessed Miguel Pro. He was persecuted. He was eventually accused of being kind of a collaborator in the assassination uh, attempt on the previous president. And so the then president ordered him to be executed. So this was in uh, 1927. So there are actually photographs of him at his execution, kneeling down. That was the last thing he wanted to do was kneel down and pray before he died. But then when he was executed, he refused the blindfold. And he stretched out his arms in the form of a cross, and he he begged forgiveness for his uh, executioners. And the last, most famous line that everybody heard him say was, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. He was then shot by the firing squad. They did a lousy job, and a, a soldier had to go and actually go up to him and point blank shoot him in the head to kill him. So he died as a martyr in Mexico, in, in the Americas. I just remember what tremendous devotion we had to him in Mexico. This was before he was canonized. But then it was actually around 1988 that I was in Mexico that uh, I believe Pope John Paul II beatified um, Blessed Miguel Pro. What a beautiful story, especially the part of him holding out his arms in the form of a cross. Uh, that's a famous image there, you know, dying like Christ on the cross. Dying know. like Christ on the cross and with such powerful grace, you yes, know. Yes, yes. Amazing. You know, guys, you mentioned Blessed Padre um, Pro uh, there in Mexico and in the United States. It's amazing that we also have a few pre-saints. We haven't yet caught up with Europe yet, but uh, but we have a few of our own that we should also look at. And I'll tell you one that stands out in particular is Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, Father Silos, and, and his body currently rests uh, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Father Silos was a young priest, a redemptorist, who was sent from Bavaria to do missionary work in the United States. And he did various work uh, up north in the Midwest and then eventually in Louisiana. And he was known as the cheerful ascetic because he would call people uh, to Christian discipleship, but they said he always had a smile on his face. That he also, similar to the priest we've already spoken about, was very committed to the confessional. And they said that he would always give encouraging and affirming counsel. People would walk out of his confessional and want to be saints. They said that he was very practical in his preaching, that he approached people and called them. And when people would listen to him preach, 
they would, again, walk out and say, I want to be a better person. I want to be more kind. I want to be more forgiving. I want to be more pure. They would feel the real power of the gospel. Interesting, he was only in New Orleans for about a year. And then in ministry to those who had a yellow fever, he himself caught it. Hmm. And he was dying. And the word spread around New Orleans. He'd only been there a year. He was dying. And they said, the saint is dying. Wow. And the entire city knew who it was they were talking about. Wow. So again, the, the power of holiness and of a priest seeking the face of God and to be a good priest. Word spread around, and when Father Cedos died, the entire city stopped. You can imagine New Orleans. It's huge now, and it was huge then. And when he died, the entire city stopped. Because in just a year, his holiness, his desire for compassion, for goodness, for God, stood out. And I think so, even in our own backyard, we see these powerful saints. I'll tell you, Father Cedos has always been a good, close, spiritual friend to myself. In my holy card, when I was ordained, a priest at the bottom says, Blessed Father Silos, pray for us, protect my vocation. Because Father Silos stands out as someone who understood the benefits of holiness is full life. That holiness frees, it does not enslave nor oppress. That holiness allows us to be the people we're called to be and to be joyful. That we can endure the greatest hardship, the most difficult penance. We can even contract yellow fever and be dying in pain, and still we have joy. That's why they call him the cheerful ascetic. And that's one of our own, now by adoption from Bavaria. Wow, Father, that, that is a powerful story. I have to say I didn't know anything about him. Well, we are at the end of our first segment here. We've been talking about priest saints, Padre Pio, John Bosco, the Curie of ours, and uh, several others. And you are listening to Pathways to Rome. You're listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrix radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. If you would like to listen to this show again or previous broadcast of Pathways to Rome, visit our website, www.catholicradionsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrix Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrix Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. Put the power of video to work for you. Whether it's a short marketing presentation or an hour-long training video, turn to the Emmy Award-winning experts at Extreme Vision Studios. Present your message clearly and concisely. Video allows you to produce your image and gives you a professional look that shines. Call Extreme Vision Studios today for a free consultation. The number is 864-590-9970. That number again is 864-590-9970. Extreme Vision Studios, proud sponsor of South Carolina Catholic Radio. Polydex Screen Corporation, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, was founded in Spartanburg in 1978 to manufacture and market modular synthetic screen media in North America, serving the gold 
copper, phosphate, and aggregate industries, Polydex strives to honor God in all they do. Their phone number is 864-579-4594. They're also on the web at www.polydexscreen.com. St. Anthony's Catholic Store, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, offers books on apologetics, spirituality, theology, and church history to assist adults and children in their faith formation. They also provide sacred vessels, vestments, and hand-carved statuary to parishes and maintain an inventory of baptismal, communion, confirmation, and wedding gifts. For more information about this family-owned business located at 443C Congaree Road near Haywood Mall, John or Judy can be reached at 864-288-0335. Holly Tree Pediatric Dentistry, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, is located at 1334 South Highway 14 between Woodruff Road and Main Street in Simpsonville. Dr. Ann Bynum specializes in pediatric dentistry and has cared for the dental health of upstate children since opening her practice in 1997. For more information, Dr. Ann's website is hollytreepediatricdentistry.com. Our Holly Tree's phone number is 864-297-5585. That's 864-297-5585. AKJ Consulting, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, in cooperation with New Way Properties, utilizes years of experience to assist people in finding and acquiring affordable housing in the upstate. They also have a program to assist those in danger of going into foreclosure. For more information, David Case can be reached at 864-430-4877. That's 864-430-4877. There's a new way to get rid of an old car, truck, or gas guzzler. No matter what condition it is in, Catholic Charities will pick it up at home, office, or repair shop and handle all of the paperwork. Catholic Charities is a 501c3 not-for-profit entity associated with the Diocese of Charleston. For more information, Catholic Charities can be reached at 877-885-4483. That's 877-885-GIVE. Or reach them on the web at www.supportcatholiccharities.org. Priest for Life organizes a monthly rosary led by a priest or deacon of the Diocese of Charleston every third Saturday in each month. Members from local parishes gather to pray the rosary from 8 to 9 a.m. at the West Ashley Abortion Facility located at 1312 Ashley River Road. That's at the corner of Highway 61 and Fusler in Charleston. For further information, Stephen Boyle can be reached at 843-763-0681. In these challenging economic times, our taxes are probably going up. In Matthew 22, Jesus says to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So is it enough to be resigned and pay our taxes while giving our hearts to God? The real question is, how can we give to Caesar in such a way that transforms society for the good of the kingdom? What can we do with our resources and the taxes we pay to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and serve the least of our brothers that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25? Since after all, it's not our money. I'm Joe Galloway. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. And now we return to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby 
with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Welcome back to Pathways to Rome. My name is Gus Killo. I'm in the studio with Kathy Kerfoot. And in Rome, we have Father Jeffrey Kirby. And we've been talking about priest saints. We spoke about Padre Pio, St. Pio of Pietrelecina, St. John Bosco, St. Maximilian Colby, Blessed Zelos in New Orleans, and Blessed Miguel Pro in Mexico. And the Curie de Ars. Did you say him? Uh, my goodness, how could I forget the Curie of Ars? <laughs> the patron saint of uh, the year of the priest. You know, a saint is someone who has shown heroic virtue. That That is uh, one of the qualities that qualifies someone for beatification. So let's talk about some virtues. Kathy, what, what do you look for in a, in a priest? What kind of virtues? Oh, I'm trying to think of various priests that I've known throughout the years and, and things that impress me most about them. I don't know if I can really put my finger on a word or a virtue in particular, but their holiness. Um impresses me, you know, something that I want to try and emulate. Something else is their humanness, that they apologize when they fail, that that they do fail. I mean, I, I as a kid growing up, you just always put priests on a pedestal. I know you talked earlier about saints being on a pedestal, but I always used to put priests on a pedestal. It wasn't until I got older that I realized they're, you know, as human as I am. And I look for that. I look for a humbleness, just their humility. I have a very special priest in mind who is very humble. You know, it's funny you say humble because lots of saints have lots of different virtues and, and excel in, in various types of virtues, preaching and, and miracles, etc. But one thing I read that they all saints have in common is humility. You cannot be a saint without being humble. When I go into the confessional, it's good to know that the priest has compassion and understanding because he too is a man who has to go to confession. Mm -hmm. And so he knows the human condition. I think that's very important for priests to be merciful, to, to show the mercy of God, because I mean, the priest is an alter Christus, another Christ. You know? yeah. And so he has to show the, the patience of God, not just the justice of God. Uh, so for me, patience and understanding is very important too. Yeah. So. How about yourself, Father? Well, I have to tell you that uh, I'm a very humble person. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> and, and, and I'm very proud of my humility. <laughs> Some listeners might be confused when a priest is asked what virtues he hopes to see in a priest. You know, priests are, are human, and we also are in need, priests themselves, of, of the ministry of a priest. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm a priest, I look for the ministry of priests success me to grow in my relationship with God. When I approach a priest, I immediately hope uh, for compassion. I think we've, we've mentioned that, but mm -hmm. someone who is is not going to judge or shake the finger in my face or you should know better or various things, um, but someone who's going to really just be compassionate, mm -hmm. you know, to have that meekness and humility of heart that, that the Lord speaks about in the gospel, and who is going to build me up. Or in the first segment, I Blessed Father Silos, and, and people were empowered, inspired. They wanted to be better when Father Silos ministered to them. And I look for that. In the midst of all of our brokenness, our own sins, and so on, you know, I look for that compassion myself when I approach a priest, whether for confession or spiritual direction or pastoral counseling or whatever it might be. Sometimes just to work on a project together mm -hmm. in collaboration. I just hope for that compassion. 
And then from that compassion, what I look for especially is prayer. Mm-hmm. The person who is going to help me to realize that the Lord is in our midst, who is not going to be afraid to talk about Jesus or to say, Let, let's turn to prayer, or who is going to gently remind me of biblical truths or teachings of the Church. Mm-hmm. And, and it might sound odd for people to hear I'm a priest to be a person of, of prayer, you want a person who is seeking holiness and so on. Yes, because some people might say, well, aren't all priests like that? <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly hope so. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I try to be a priest like that. But sometimes with our society where we personalize religion, we tell people to, to keep religion in their homes and so on, you know, sometimes priests do feel that pressure, and so they begin to speak more like social workers or mm-hmm. government employees or philanthropists, and it can be very inspiring, but they sometimes forget to talk about Jesus, yeah. to lead us to prayer. And that is something I especially look for in a priest. As a young priest, I look for that in older priests who can help me mm-hmm. to be an example, to be that priest, you know? Um, so I think that compassion and, and a person who is really seeking holiness, seeking holiness, I'm always inspired in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Not those who have righteousness, not those who think they have righteousness, but blessed are they who hunger and thirst right. for righteousness. I desire that myself. I hope I'm one of those people. And I look for that in priests when they're ministering to me, like, I want to see someone who is really hungering and thirsting mm-hmm. uh, for holiness. I'm curious, as we talk in our show, just about pre-saints, about the virtues, Christian virtues that we hope to, to see in our priests. I'm curious, uh, Kathy or Gus, if you have any stories of particular priests in, in <laughs> your own Christian walk that you would maybe want to share with our listeners. I have a particular priest friend whom I love dearly, and his name is Al. But he's just a very special man, and he's just one in a million. Um, I've never met another priest like him. I remember telling him one day a problem that I was having. He just stopped right then and threw himself into prayer. And I looked at him, and, you know, I thought something had happened. You know, he had just zoned out, and I <laughs> tapped him, and I'm like, Father, what what's the matter? Are you okay? And... He bounced back a few seconds later, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just I just immediately went to prayer for you. Wow. And and he another thing he always does that always strikes me before he gives his sermon, or before, yeah, after the gospel's been read, before he gives his sermon, he always walks to the tabernacle and stops and talks to the Blessed Sacrament. It might be 30 seconds wow. before he approaches, you know, the congregation to give his uh, sermon, but the first time I saw him do that, you know, we all just kind of looked at each other, like, "What is he doing?" And that, you know? That's such a little gesture, but it's, it's such it's, a little it's gesture, powerful. so humbling, so beautiful, mm-hmm. and you know, you could see his lips moving. He's talking quietly with Jesus, asking him, "What do you want me to say?" Mm. Every morning when he wakes up, and he says, "You know, ask the Lord what he wants him to do today," and uh, and then he says, "I'll just get out of your way, Lord, and let you work." And the Holy Spirit just works through him every day. It's just the most beautiful thing to witness. Well, Father, for, for me, uh, what really stands out is um, 
priests who have a very good sense of humor. And when I say that, I mean they're very easygoing, have a sense of humor, and yet they take the liturgy, they take the sacraments very, very seriously. I had a a priest, confessor, mentor at, at my university, University of Dallas, and, oh, I just loved him. And he was so funny. He'd make me laugh all the time. But one time, I remember I went to confession. I was absolutely miserable, miserable, miserable. I think I said something like, I was in traffic, and and somebody cut me off, and I gave him a rude gesture. And he goes, oh, that was you? (laughs) And all I remember is I was feeling so miserable, and I just burst out laughing. And it just kind of came out laughing, and I thought... You know, that was true compassion. He he was able to find humor in what I thought was, you know, the worst thing in the world. And, and uh, so I thought that was absolutely hilarious. The, the priests that I felt closest to over the years have had that strong sense of humor, but also they've always been very, very pious, very in love with our Lord. To me, a priest has to be approachable and accessible. If I see a priest walking through the airport, I want to walk up to him and say, hi, Father, you know, how are you doing? I want to talk to him. I want to feel connected with him, but I want him to know I love him as a priest because he's a priest. Mm-hmm. And I would like to, I, I like having that, that access. And I think that, that priests um, should be very, very accessible. You and know, I think they want that access. You know, they want to feel connected with the mm-hmm. people, too. They don't want to feel set apart. I remember when we were with the Missionaries of Charity Fathers, we prayed for diocesan priests because a lot of them live alone, and it, it has to be very hard. So we really, really prayed hard for priests, I remember, because they're like, oh, we got it so easy. We're living in community. One of my son's uh, godfather is a Dominican priest, and he's a little younger than I am. I love it when he comes and stays with us. We have home mass. Uh, he's He's very, very funny. I remember playing tennis with him, and we'd, we'd both be losing our temper. And so every time we went to play tennis, I'd ask him for absolution in advance, <laughs> which, of course, he never granted. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, when I was in college, and I was fortunate to be able to attend a Catholic college, and there was this old priest there, uh, Father Gus, that kind of looked like Yoda, actually. You know, he had the, the gray hair, and he was really little and so on, but, uh, but everybody just love Father Gus, and um, again, very, very old, probably in his 80s, and would walk around, and we used to love it, because as male students, we would kind of see how he would always kind of joke and, and pick on, or, or kind of favor um, the female students, like, we have these flight of stairs outside of the chapel, and he would always stand there, sometimes for five or ten minutes, and students, male students, just walking by, walking by all the time, you know. Father, do you need any help? No, I'm okay. Do you need any help? No, I'm okay. You know, so okay. Then a group of girls would come. Oh, <laughs> oh excuse me, girls. Could, could you help an old priest down the steps? Oh, Father, they'd all grab his arm and they'd walk him down. And he just, he would just be loving it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so innocent and, and so funny. And 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 Father Gus was just great. One day I was coming back from classes, and I was walking by and. And Father Gus was standing there, and he wore the habit with this string. You know, he used to hit people with his uh, little cincture on his habit, you know. And, and I was walking by, and I thought, oh, great, you know, Father Gus is going to hit me. And um, <laughs> he looked at my face, and he said, uh, is everything okay? And actually, it hadn't been. It, it had been a, just a really bad month. And, you know, all the things in college life, you know, the problems with friendship, problems with girls, problems with everything. And I was walking by, and I just feel very good and, and was really kind of, brokenhearted and, and so on. Well, my father got to standing there, are you okay? And I just opened up. I was like, 
no, brother, you know, this is going wrong, and that's going wrong. <laughs> you know? And just going on and on with all this, all this junk. And he took my arm, and we walked you know, down the steps, and we walked for a little bit, and then he was on the way to the fiery. And I had to head back to the, to the dorm. And I could have talked to him for another eight hours, <laughs> and he knew it. Yeah. And he said, uh, when we were all done, he squeezed my arm, and I think with the holy affection that comes from holiness, he looked at me and he said, just hold on to the cross because the Jesus you need is nailed to it. Wow. And he walked away. And hmm. that just said it all. That's and all I have repeated that so many times in, in my own pastoral counseling, spiritual direction, in my preaching, because it was just one of those wow. moments where I was like, wow, I, I just walked with a saint. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I just saw mm -hmm. the face of Jesus in Father Gus, and he was just some old, you know, ugly 80-year-old guy. No, 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 it was awesome. And I oftentimes think of Father Gus, he, he has gone to his eternal reward. Sometimes I even find myself saying, you know, Father Gus, you know, help me out with this, you know. Mm. Um, How beautiful. Because he's just a good priest, yep. and, and we need more of them, and, and we need to appreciate the ones we have. Talk about, it just maybe encounters and, and stories, I'm just curious, Gus and Kathy, um, I hope every Catholic has dozens and dozens of these stories. And I'm mm -hmm. curious if, if you have any more stories you'd like to share uh, with our listeners. When you mentioned uh, Yoda, uh, we had a priest at University of Dallas. He was a Cistercian priest, and his name was Father Chris Rebe, and we called him Father Yoda. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> oh, he was hilarious. <laughs> he was there. There are a lot of good priests there too. But one priest at University of Dallas that really stood out was uh, Father Thomas Kane, a very very old priest. But he would be smiling all the time, like he said. The girls loved him. I uh, kind of reminded me of your priest. The girls loved him, and he'd always have candy every time you saw him. He'd give you candy. <laughs> And then he also had, like, this paper frog. So, I mean, everybody thought he was just a goofball, but so easygoing and so patient. And so one day, you know, I was talking to him, and I'm like, Father, when you die, you're going straight to heaven. And I've never seen a priest turn around so quickly. And he goes, oh, no, that would be presumptuous. We must never be presumptuous like that. And I got a little nervous there. I thought, oh, my goodness, this priest who, who to me, had a halo, he didn't take his salvation for granted. He was, no. I mean, that really hit home to me that someone who obviously was in the presence of God, you could tell he was almost in the continually in the presence of God. It just seemed like it. He just emanated that. And yet he had this real genuine humility. Not like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to be a saint. I mean, oh, my goodness, I thought he was going to smack me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings to mind my dear friend, Father Al, who always, during the Mass, prays for the most neglected priest soul in purgatory. Wow. And I always pray that now, too, because I just always hear Father Al's little words of wisdom in my head. Mm -hmm. And I always pray for the most neglected priest soul in purgatory. And to even think that there is a neglected priest soul in purgatory was before that not imaginable to me. Well, we always joke that once we pray for him, he's not the most neglected anymore. There you go. <laughs> then somebody else takes the position. And, and, there you, you know, go. go. <laughs> That's right. I have to tell you, during this year, the priest, what has been very inspiring is, is periodically Pope Benedict uh, will draw our attention as a church to a particular priest, many of the ones that, that we've mentioned in our show today. And even on the Pope's part, he just once again wants to draw our attention to the holiness of the priests, a love for the priesthood by our prayers, our support and encouragement, and so on. And, and it's very inspiring 
some of our listeners might recall, that I live here in Rome in a priest house. There are about 70 priests who live here in the house, uh, predominantly American. We have a few English and Scottish and, and Canadian priests. But for the most part, American, 70 priests. And what is amazing for me is a small group of them are men that I went to seminary with. Hmm. And what's amazing is it's great for the sacraments. If I need to go to confession or talk to a priest or get spiritual counsel, I've got 70 people to drop from right outside my door. But what is really amazing is that sometimes I have to go to my classmates and ask to go to confession or seek their counsel. And it's just amazing to see my classmates. I mean, these were men I went to seminary with. You know, like I've I've got a lot of stuff on them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And yet to see them as a priest and to watch the administer the sacraments and, and so on. And it's amazing. It's like, wow, look at what, what God has done. Uh, a few weeks ago, Professor Scott Hahn from Steubenville was here in Rome doing a crash course, really, oh, on the Old and New Testament. And I was able to be a part of that class. And in one of his lectures, he said that as a professor, obviously teaching at Francisco University in Steubenville, that many of his students go on to become priests. Mm. And he says that what he purposely does, if, if he's in an area, and he knows that one of his former students is in that area as a priest, he purposely seeks out that student who's a priest in order to go to confession to him. Wow. He said, because I want that man to know that I value and respect and pray for his priesthood, and that even though I'm teaching theology, I bow to the priesthood, mm-hmm. because that's a gift given to humanity by Jesus Christ. Powerful stories of what it means to be a priest. I believe that Pope John Paul II actually chose out like one of the youngest priests that he could as his personal confessor. Is that not true? Do you remember hearing anything about that? I did hear something about that. I know that the Vatican is normally really secretive as far as who the confessor or sometimes mm. confessors of the Pope is, but I had heard that. And I had also heard these are, are rumors, and we're, we're not sure what is or what is not, but the rumors are with Pope John Paul II were that he would also seek out priests who had left the priesthood. Oh, right. Yes. And yes, then come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would seek them out in order to affirm the retrieval of their sacred office, to the retrieval mm. of, of their priestly ministry. And that just seems so in the spirit of John Paul, that he would seek out young priests in order to affirm them, and that he would seek out priests who have struggled but have come back. The man, Pope John Paul II, incredible and enduring ministry here here in our church. Right. Well, this has all been very interesting, Gus and Father, and we have been talking in our first segment about some very holy men who are uh, priest saints, and now in this segment we've been talking about those virtues that make a priest holy and how they've inspired us. And now, Father, I think it would be interesting to just hear about the day in the life of a priest. Yes, Kathy. Actually, it's amazing when people ask for a priest to, to pray for them or their family members or if there's a particular intention from the parish or, or the wider community. Uh, a lot of people maybe are not as familiar that a priest is committed uh, under solemn promise uh, to pray five times a day. And those prayers aren't just that I can go to the chapel and pray whatever I want and, and so on. I can certainly do that. But the Church actually for these five hours an hour here is, is just means a set of prayers, so it doesn't take an hour, but there are five times during the day when I am required to pray to the Church, and the Church tells me what to pray. 
It comes from the Jewish temple. There's a collection of psalms that are prayed throughout the day. It was done during uh, Judaism of the temple, Mm -hmm. and it was picked up by the early church and, and was continued. And obviously we've added parts to that sets of prayer. But it's a few psalms, a reading from the New Testament, uh, a reading from one of the fathers of the church, who are early teachers of the faith. And then there are specific intentions that the church has me pray. And then there's a gospel canticle, uh, which is either the prayer prayed by Mary in Luke's gospel, or Simeon in Luke's gospel, or also the prayer of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, which is also in Luke's gospel. So there are these sets of prayers that I'm required to pray. And then with that, I could include specific intentions. So if the Joneses say, can you pray for our marriage? Or the Smiths say, can you pray for her mother? Uh, She's not well. Or can you pray for our son who's who's struggling? Or so on. The priest can make additional prayers and just put them in his prayer book so that when it's time to pray that hour, he can go and pray. Now, there are actually seven hours. So the monks pray all seven. But diocesan priests, priests who are in a parish, active parish ministry, are only required to pray five of the seven. Mm. And ideally, they're prayed every three hours. Mm. Now, for parish priests, just because of the pastoral ministry, sometimes we can't do it exactly every three hours, so we move, we adjust. Sometimes we even have to clump two of them together. Mm-hmm. But five specific prayers are offered by the priest for his parish, for the people of God, and for specific intentions. And a lot of people are amazed by that. They see priests walking around with, with little black books. And sometimes people say, oh, is that your Bible? Mm-hmm. So, well, the Bible's parts of the Bible is in there. I said, but this is actually my prayer book. It's commonly just called a breviary. Mm-hmm. And that's just his prayer book. And mm-hmm. so when you see a priest walking around, he's got the little black book, and you know that he's either going to prayer or coming from prayer. And there's a, a popular expression among priests we refer to our prayer book as our wife. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, so if a priest loses his prayer book, if you put it down somewhere, somebody's like, oh, great, I lost my wife. You know? oh, okay. and, and in priest humor, everybody knows what he's talking about. Because yeah. just as a husband should give deference and attention to his wife, the priest, as married to the church, mm-hmm. should give constant deference and attention to the prayers of the church. Mm. The liturgy of the hours are important because we say it prolongs the effects of or prepares for the celebration of the Mass. Uh. It reminds the priest that the summit and source of everything we do as Christians is the altar where the Eucharist is offered. And yet, Father, I understand the priests are not obliged to say Mass daily, but they are obliged to say the, the Liturgy of the Hours daily. Is that correct? That is. That is. The, the Church uh, strongly encourages priests to offer Mass every day. We really should. A priest should, unless there are grave reasons why he cannot. Now, that's true in the West. Uh, in the East, when we have Eastern rites, parts of the Catholic Church that do not follow our particular form. So, for example, in Constantinople in Turkey, they have a Mass, but it's different in the ceremonies from ours. They have different traditions. In their tradition, daily Mass is very rare. In the West, the emphasis is that a priest would offer Mass every day. And the reason why a priest would not offer Mass every day would be that he is either afraid that it's becoming mechanical, so he refrains out of penance, wow. or because he's in need of the sacraments, uh-huh. or for some other grave reason. But the expectation is that a priest would offer Mass every day. And the prayers throughout the day, what we call the Liturgy of the Hours, and that's what I was describing, those five hours of prayer, 
five moments of prayer are what prepare the priest for the Mass or allow the effects of the Mass, which are the graces, to continue to be fed to the Church through the prayer of the priest. So you can almost imagine it's like a spider web over his parish. And mm. the creation of that spider web is the Mass, and the Liturgy of the Hours is how he makes sure that spider web covers and protects the souls that are committed to his care as a priest. That's so beautiful. So that's, yes, and that's the heart of a priest's prayer. Heart of a priest's prayer. Now the laity are encouraged, laymen and women are encouraged to pray parts of the Liturgy of the Hours as they're able. Women religious and men religious, so the friars, nuns, the monks, they pray all seven because they're a part of keeping our church strong. And don't the deacons have to pray too? The deacons also uh, are committed to praying all five as well. Five. As ordained servants of the church, uh, they also offer prayers on behalf of God's people. So the permanent deacons, transitional deacons, uh, also pray uh, the liturgy of the hours. Those five hours of prayer, I tell you, as a priest, uh, in my own prayer life and so on, uh, those form uh, the backbone of my day, hmm. of my personal prayer, of my ministry. There's nothing greater than after hours of appointments or meetings when it comes to about 3 o'clock. And here in Rome, after studying and sitting at my desk, it is so great that the 3 o'clock hour comes and I can stop and just get up, take out my prayer book, and I just have 5 to 8 minutes of prayer. And it just makes so much of the afternoon and so much of the hustle and bustle just quiet down. Now, I will tell you, in the parish, that was the hardest time to pray, was the afternoon. The mornings, pretty good. You just do it before you leave. Mm -hmm. The evenings, no problem. You just do it before meetings or whatever, night prayer you do before you go to bed, so on. But those afternoon hours were the, were the ones that could really get you. Mm -hmm. uh, they really required, like, stop. Lord is Lord. He's the King. I need to pray. And... I tell you, it makes all the difference. That reminds me of Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who said uh, he always had a holy hour every day, but when things got really, really busy, he added another holy hour because he realized that prayer was more important than anything he was doing. For me, uh, I set my clock at, at 12 o'clock, and I say the Angelus, and sometimes I'm in, in the middle of something, and it seems like it's interrupting my day, but I know i got to stop, and it's a little bit of prayer in the middle of the day, a little bit like what you're doing there. Well, Father, we've come to the end of our show. This has been an absolutely fascinating uh, two segments here, talking about some priests, saints, virtues of priests, priests that we've admired, some great stories there. So we thank you very much, Father, for joining us uh, today from Rome. You have been listening to Pathways to Rome, Gus Killo and Kathy Kerfoot in the studio here in South Carolina, Father Jeff Kirby out in Rome. Father, would you please leave us with your blessing? The Lord be with you. And also, and also with, with you. you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, be, Thanks to be to God. You've been listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrics radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. For more information about this show, or if you would like to listen to previous broadcasts, visit our website, www.catholicradioinsc.com That's catholicradioinsc.com Thanks for listening, and God bless.
Hello, I'm Father Jeff Kirby. Thank you for listening to WCKI 1300 AM Greer and to WQIC 810 AM St. George, Charleston.